I don't know where that noise came from. I think I summoned a demon. I don't know. Welcome to the Backpack Show, everybody. Where we summon demons. I don't know. So this is the show where we bring you insights about success from unusual places. Have we got an unusual place today? I am so excited. We're going to talk with writer and self-described British Appalachian chimera, Leah Hampton, about her short debut short story collection, Fuckface. <laughs> so... This is like a perfect book for me. You said no. that like you were going to get caught after class or something. I say it all the time. Just she said a bad show. word. All, all right. Time. So Maybe. fuck the face. No, she explores <laughs> She explores really interesting themes about rurality and sex and uh, all sorts Corpses. of honey, honeybee claps, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have an author fun today with the Lady Hampton. Hi everyone, Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, welcoming you to The Backpack Show. Your hosts, Chris Brogan, Kerry Gargone, Boom Shakalaka. Backpack Show. Say hello to Papa Brogan. Hello, my father. And Mama Brogan. That's my biological mom right there. <laughs> Coach Woodard, like seven-time winner of Person of the Day. That's right. Chloe in Scotland holding it down. Happy afternoon to you in Scotland, Chloe. Miss Chloe. Miss Chloe. Good gang of humans we have here today. Appalachia, Appalachia, Appalachia. We're going to ask Leia that question. Have questions. You know, we're going to help us out here. All right, let's hit the button. Leia, Appalachia, Appalandia. What do we got here? How do we do it? Okay. Good question. So, uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Correct way to pronounce it is Appalachia, if you're West Virginia or south of that. I don't know what those Yankees say, but down here we say Appalachia. And the way you remember it is, if you don't say it right, I'm going to throw an Appalachia. <laughs> All right, so I'm in Nashville, so which way do I go with it? You're in Nashville? Okay, yeah, so Appalachia. Yeah, okay. Not from Nashville, which is why I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> of the north, so I, I get to say whatever. Well, uh, so, you know, when you go to name a book and you think, you know, it'd be a great name for this book, Fuckface. Uh, fine word, used all the time. Yeah. Uh, popular around a lot of people's homes. Uh, <laughs> how, how'd that go with the, uh, the editors and publishers? So the fun part is that my editor is cool. And uh, it was almost kind of her idea. Like it was what I wanted to call the book, but I was too scared. And um, And I told her and she was like, I'm down. So, um, so then it just turned into like this actually very short conversation with, um, you know, the media marketing people who marketing the, the people. only thing that the only change was that uh, they, the publisher and the marketing people made us put in the asterisk. Like I just wanted to go full fuck face, but I found out that that puts you in a very different and much darker corner of the internet when you try to sell your book. <laughs> Right. So yes. like if you go on Amazon, you have to put the ast it's it's official title is F asterisk because they if they didn't censor it, then I would be like in the you know porno section of Amazon. So which I mean that's fine too. I don't, you know, I don't no judge. But, it, but it's not though. So I think that some people's visceral reaction after mm -hmm. seeing the title might be to think there's gonna be a bunch of like brash and brassy, mm -hmm. super profane, you know, stories. It, like kind of like the literary equivalent of a Quentin Tarantino movie, but that's right. not the case. At all. There's these very nuanced, developed characters that are like, they're just like flawed, ordinary people living their lives in rural Appalachia, and they face some interesting things. And I, I just don't think it 
I don't, to give it a chance is what I'm saying. So if you're a little prissy and you're like, fuck face, I'm not reading that, read it. Yep. So the short Thanks. story assortment, there's like 12 stories. Did you choose 12 or 12 is just like you have written more and you just pick 12 or? I had a couple more, but they didn't quite fit with kind of the theme and the sort of, you know, vibe I was going for. So I just, yeah, we kept it to 12. And originally it was going to be like almost like a story cycle where it went through the seasons, but then that seemed too hokey. So I was like, let's just call it fuckface and and surprise people. Just hokey enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's the gimmick. And then everything else is like fancy literary stuff. So <laughs> Coach the choice Woodard. of stories. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry. Coach Woodard says he's okay. So just letting everybody know Coach Woodard is yeah, safe. Okay, he's popular Coach. around here. There's a story about forest fires in the book. Oh. Forest fires rather than wildfires. But yeah, there's wildfires raging out west. So that's nice to know that he's okay. Very. Your choices of stories, of course, apply to people who aren't necessarily on the coasts. This isn't a book for the New Yorker LA set, which a lot of books seem to be written for mm -hmm. the coasts. And, uh, you know, for instance, stories like Twitchell that talk about what it's like to have the the big company uh, in town that suddenly, you know, everybody's life is tied to it. I just watched Nomadland with Francis McDormand. So Twitchell really had kind of a resonance in that way of like, what's it like when the, everything peels up? Mm -hmm. wanna, do you want to talk a little bit about story choice in the book? Like why you selected the ones you did? Oh, you? oh, I thought it was. I was like, wait, is there no, no, sorry, not character <laughs> choices, but like, you know, um, yeah. So that's that's a lot of questions all at once. Yeah, thanks for noticing that. I um, I definitely wanted to. So Appalachia, specifically, kind of central Appalachia, where I live and where my family's from, is uh, there's a lot of people who kind of have stereotypes about it, where they think of it as coal country, they think of it as you know uh, where the the OxyContin, the opioid epidemic is sort of raging. And so I felt like other people were doing that. And so I was really more interested in choosing stories and writing stories that were focused on the environment and focused on things that people don't know about this place. Um, I think people think they know us and people have stereotypes about all rural areas, but especially, you know, what people might call hillbilly country. And I, just wanted to have a more nuanced discussion of that and also specifically talk about the ecosystem because it is the most diverse ecosystem in the Western hemisphere, or it was until we, you know, cut down all the trees and started destroying it. So um, yeah, I just wanted to choose stories that were about people that were maybe not what you, if you aren't from here, what you would not expect to see. But then if you are from here, and the biggest compliment that I get is people who are from here who say things like, do you know my cousin Trudy? Because, and then they talk about how she used to work at a company like the one in Twitchell, and she had breast cancer and you know, that kind of thing. That's one of the things that I think everybody could relate to is having a big employer move to town, like a big company and suddenly everybody, it's like a company town now, except right. that the town was there first. Right. And so when things start to go awry, like they do in Twitchell, like they did in Woburn, if you've ever seen a civil action, like it's similar. It's like mm -hmm. big employers, lots of people reliant on them. And yet there's this like dark underbelly mm -hmm. that's happening. And uh, it's like blood money kind of. It is blood money. And it also, and it, and it very quickly changes the culture in the town, right? Like, so if you live and, and they're called company towns specifically, my dad grew up in a company town in Eastern Kentucky and, you know, it used to be that they were, that they ran every, like you had a company store, you got, my grandfather was paid in scrip, which is 
fake currency that you can only spend at the company store, which is a whole other podcast that we could go into. But more now, now that that kind of system has has faded out, what you have now is, yeah, you get these big companies who come into town and people people attach positive ideas around this commodification of their home. You know, they think, oh, this is great. We're all going to get jobs. And next thing you know, like the local college is only is pushing a major in whatever, you know, that company makes like chemical engineering or whatever. And then company goes belly up or they move to a different country or what have you. And you're left with a whole bunch of people in your town who were essentially chattel for this one marketplace. And uh, and what are they supposed to do? You know, so I started asking that question. One of the recurring things I kept thinking about is you sure don't allow people to be happy. Um, no. In your, in your stories. <laughs> right. Be very careful if it seems like someone's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Well, you know, it is about the climate apocalypse. It is a book about the climate apocalypse. And so what I tried to do was I didn't want to write a book with a happy with any happy endings because that would be dishonest. But that, so instead what I tried to do is I tried to leaven it with humor along the way, right? Like, so somebody's gonna have, uh, if they're gonna have a crappy life, at least you get to see them like try to have butt sex, you know? That's sort of the, so the situations and the this people are funny. The <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just, I, I thought like, let's relieve some of that tension by at least which, and which is true to the region, right? Like this is a tough place to live. And there aren't a lot of people who, who um, make, you know, lottery winning successes of themselves um, in the way that, that they might in a big city. So I had to be realistic, but everybody around here is also hilarious and they get into these crazy situations. So I just made crazy situations that I thought were funny and then gave people an honest ending. So yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) In, in that way, one of the things that I kept thinking about is it reminded me of how in the in the HBO miniseries The Deuce, Maggie Gyllenhaal said, so it was covering um, uh, Times Square in a 42nd Street area in uh, New York in late 70s into the 80s. So it covers uh, like hookers on the street into uh, early porno and all this sort of thing. So there's lots of sex. But she says, Anytime there's a possibility that you could get off to something that I don't want you to get off to, I make it terrible. Like something <laughs> awful happens. Like you're never going to, it's, you're not going to watch this thing to like, you know, indulge your fantasies. And I thought if your book that way, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to lure you in with some sex here and there, but then I'm going to make it suck. <laughs> then I'm going to rip your belly open. And you're like, welcome. <laughs> we're not even just going to be a park ranger. It's not going to be pretty. There's not going to be picnic baskets. No, because. We're destroying the planet, Chris. I can't, I'm not, I'm not giving you the catharsis. I'll give you some jokes along the way, but ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a very important lesson on this special episode of Blossom. (laughs) (laughs) It it is a lot to take in. And it's interesting us having you on today, like having a big climate change report come out yesterday that has people going, well, hell, forget it. I'll just, you know, do nothing at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's hard. I yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a challenge for people because that made big news yesterday, right? The IPCC report and, and how we basically have five years to save the planet. And we all are like, well, I recycle, but what's the point? Um, and so I think that, I mean, it does, 
you know, there are notes of hope in the book. And I think just as a person who for my whole, most of my life have had some kind of involvement with environmental activism, we're happy people. Like it's okay. You know, I would look at that report and just say, I see all this possibility. Right. And, and if people knew how much better it is now than it used to be, um, and how, and how, you know, you don't see incremental change if you're, if you're in the fight, right. Cause it's so gradual, but we have made huge progress and we, and we are having a conversation that we weren't having even 20 years ago. And, um, and, and there are tremendous things that you can do in, in very small ways in your local ecosystem that make a huge difference. You know, you can plant a certain type of garden, you can get some bees, you can, um, you can support causes in your community. You can uh, maybe tell somebody not to shoot the wolf on their ranch and let that wolf run around because that wolf really is a key stone species in that ecosystem. Or, you know, we can have these conversations and I hope that people will see that kind of stuff. And, and I hope they'll see my book as, even though it's like, it's like, I have to slap you in the face for you to go, oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So here's the slap, right? Here's this book full of weird, depressing stories and, and potential butt sex. That's sort of funny. <laughs> and then you go, oh, okay. And, and my hope is that the reaction is not that you just give up, but that you go, all right, well, so now what? Right. Because there, because there is, in, in the IPCC report and in the climate crisis and in my work, there there are open doors and there are ways to, you know, to do something. That was like one, if you could call it a silver lining of the pandemic was all of a sudden everybody stayed home for months and months. And you could see that in not too long, there were like dolphins back in Venice canals and yeah. like the, the things were happening. Yeah. And didn't well, people reprioritizing, long. right? People realizing like, I don't need two cars. What if I work fewer hours and me and my spouse just get rid of one of our cars? And that has climate impact. It has psychic impact. It has, you know, there's, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying COVID is a good thing, but I, um, and I certainly know how, how difficult and dark this time is, but also change, right, is, is difficult. And sometimes it takes a slap in the face to make those changes. Well, and it forced us to have that experiment in a way that nobody was ever going to otherwise like then they could argue about the theory of whether it would make a difference to do this or that and now it's like okay well yeah it makes a difference like we've seen it now so yeah and we don't really like as a country i don't think we do subtlety you know like what? we're not gonna learn we're not gonna learn like the nuanced lesson oh it's gotta be like hey man we're gonna shove you in your house for a year that's that's kind of how it's like the 80s cartoons like he-man at the end of it they'd be like here's the moral of the story today yeah. it's like wherever yeah. you go we like, there those you are. <laughs> we like those and you know superhero movies and all that stuff and sorry guys that stuff's not real the real so like one of the reasons that i struggle with like superhero movies and things is i tweeted about this one time a few months back where i said that it's not that i don't enjoy car chase movies i just really care about fruit stands like I watch a car chase movie and I think about the guy who owns the fruit stand that always gets knocked over in the car chase. And I'm like, okay, so he's got to get a small business loan. That's going to take him at least six hours of waiting at the bank to get a new cart. And then he's got to, you know, talk to his fruit guy. He's got to order. More. So I'm like stuck in that and I can't enjoy the car chase. He's insured, so, Leia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but think like the fruit stand guy, right? Like you can still have the fruit stand. We can still have a beautiful planet. Like you just got to 
you know, stop thinking that Superman's going to swoop in and fix it. Well, boy, are you going to love Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds coming up shortly, where in which he's the non-player character and they have a whole look at what happens to everybody else in these things where it's all going. Excellent. On. Oh, cool. Not really. It's 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 a fun shenanigans kind of movie, but that's sort of the premise is that, you know, it's from the point of view of the non-player characters for once, which is cool. pleasant. Um, so, listen, we forgot to do ads because I knew I would. We're going to take a little <laughs> quick break and I'm going to stick you backstage for a minute while we do a couple of ad reads, so okay. don't go anywhere. Hey, people here on the show, don't forget one of the coolest reasons to be on the Backpack Show is so you can actually comment and interact with our guests and ask questions about things like Appalachia, stuff you don't know. And the environment. And the environment. Hey, do you like uh, this show? Because we make it using StreamYard. Seabroga.me slash StreamYard is how you can make a show just like this and have great interactions with the people sitting in your audience. Get your own author. slash StreamYard. Get your own author. I'm sorry. Hey. Do you not like our faces, but you like what we have to say? You oh, can listen dear. to our podcast anywhere. And if you want to get your own podcast, you can. Castos.com is our podcasting host. What a great company. Mm, they're the best. They're like peas in a podcast. They'll host your audio files so you can syndicate them all the places. You want to research things about how many corpses could one park ranger find? Go to oh presearch.com and ask that question. Presearch is a search engine that sticks it to demand. You're not Google. Um, so go to presearch.com. Earn crypto there. rewards. Something that something using pre-search. Mitch Jackson is California's number one leading trial <laughs> attorney. Uh, he is absolutely he's won the award. I don't know how many times at this point. He's pretty much Coach Woodard of. Well, that. he does he run the contest. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know, but Mitch is a total boss. Streaming lawyer is one of the sites you can go to. He has a really great newsletter as well at some other site like. I don't remember the URL. He told me to remember and I forgot. If you get but, yourself into a pickle, contact Mitch Jackson. Yes, he is your guy, and he'll win you back way more than a nickel. Last ad, hey, do you want your own dot .online domain? Because who wouldn't really? Leia could have a dot .online. It'd be Leia.online. Seabrogan.me slash online. Just use the code Chris, and all that. You get it for she a whole could, buck. She could get fuckface.online. <sighs> she totally could. Fuckface.online. Everybody knows they want it. <laughs> of course, you know what everyone's looking for when they go to that site, but. Your mom hey, is dot .online? That's what they're looking for. So let's grab Leia, bring her back. We'll ask a few more questions. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, welcome back. Hey, excuse me. Uh, you need a dot online domain? Use code Chris, all caps. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that idea, actually. That's, I got you covered. Yeah. Why didn't I, I do you that covered. earlier? Um, so uh, promoting a book is a little tricky during the apocalypse. Uh, what mm -hmm. did you do to do your book promotion? Yeah, book tour got canceled. Uh, my book came out last year, smack dab in the middle of COVID. So, um, so I got to debut from my house. Um, which was, you know, a little bit uh, frustrating. But I was also really aware, like, I didn't mind it so much because the flip side of that was that everybody was home and everybody was scared. And I take, I have like this really philosophical approach to what I do. And, and you know, I'm like fancy literary, whatever, um, have those ambitions. So I just felt like story is so important. And, and one of the ways we process trauma is by talking, by telling stories, right? We gather around a fire and we tell stories of war. We gather around, you know, the, the, the pot and we eat and we, and we tell each other stories. And so I just felt kind of like, okay, so this personally for me is not going to be <clears throat> the most successful or the most, or the biggest <clears throat> book launch, but I get to comfort people. I get to tell people stories while they're stuck in their homes which is uh, kind of cool and kind of, you know, special. So, yeah. So there could be worse things. But yeah. so what, 
what kinds of things did you do to make it different for people? Like, I think we all felt like, uh, one more zoom, I'm going to yeah, walk in the yeah. ocean. Like <laughs> what'd you do to yeah. spice it up and make it feel less like work and more like fun? I mean, I, I tried to have like moderators that were friends of mine where like we genuinely made each other laugh and we missed each other. And so we talked about, you know, um, things that were not necessarily book related. And the, but I mean, the basic thing I did was, I don't know how other people feel about this. And I'm sure that I would love people to comment on this, but if you go to like literary and poetry readings, um, I don't like them. <laughs> I fall asleep. I don't, you know, like the, you know, like the poet voice where I make my poems. Those are like sleep stories on the calm app. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not here for that. And so I just tried to like read really short passages and, and do it in a way that was, uh, that felt more like, like story time rather than, uh, you know, here's me in my fancy outfit acting like I know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> it puts people to sleep and that's the last thing you need. So yeah, it was mostly just like, okay, me and this person who can't go have coffee are going to meet online and then I'm going to read for three minutes and I will not be using the sing song uh fancy writer voice which everyone hates that's that how this show started <laughs> Chris started it as point of contact it was just him and then he brought one of his buddies on so they yeah. could catch up turned into that and then eventually it turned into the backpack show and then I started yeah. singing songs <laughs> I think people songs. like that I think people like to see other people having you know real interactions yeah what comes first in your stories? Like, do you, like, you decide, it'll be really kind of funny is let's, let's ruin these people's attempt to have butt sex. Or, <laughs> like, what's, what's the, what's the germ of a story for you? The germ of a story is usually a line of dialogue. Uh, sometimes I will overhear it and, and steal because I am a raging and un, uh, uh, unapologetic, unapologetic thief. And thank you. So, um, so usually I will hear something or I will think of something that someone might say. Like, I think I just have a haunted brain where I hear stuff like that all the time or I pick up on it like when I go to the salon or when I go to the supermarket. And, you know, you live in a small town and people say weird shit to you. And uh, so, and then I just, and then, do you know that, um, that Lewis Black uh, joke about how he's sitting in the IHOP and somebody behind him says, if it weren't for my horse, I never would have spent that year in college. Do you know that story? Okay. So Lewis Black is sitting in an IHOP and he overhears these two and behind him talking. And one of them says, if it weren't for my horse, I never would have spent that year in college. And he says that that's how people have strokes is they overhear some weird line of dialogue and it like goes in their brain and they can't figure it out. Like, why would you, why would you need a horse to go to college? And your brain just like spins on it. And then eventually it can't figure it out. It just goes and you, and you die. So rather than that, because I don't want to have a stroke, I actually try to figure it out. So I'll hear somebody say something or I'll think of something or I'll, you know, or I'll mishear something. And then I just start asking questions and I'm like, well, why wait, what kind of horse? Right. And what college and what kind of person goes to college with a horse? And I just start writing it down. And then it just, I've described it before as like, if you imagine those old, like oldie worldy parchment scrolls and it just unrolls like that. Um, I went to law school and all the cases you study are like that. Like, you don't, don't literally <laughs> unroll the parchment, but the language all has the extra ease and stuff. I yeah, sure. but I'm just like, you know, like it just comes, it just gradually starts. And I know all this is happening in my head. Like I know it's uh, not real, but it feels really real. It feels like I'm tapping into something, you know, to get really woo-woo about it. 
Um, Chloe wants to know what you think makes a story engaging all the way to the end. Well, the mm -hmm. end is where you point him and make him sad, right? So well, yeah. I mean, I think it for me, I like I love the short story form, right? Because because I like to I like a quick let's get in and and tell you something about this person and then and then we're going to leave them because we have other business, right? So novels are different, but for a short story, I think it's about character. Like, do you care about this person? Do you want do you want them to have the butt sex? Like, are you excited or are you like, no, don't have the butt sex? And then you know you get to the end, and and I I really like ambiguous endings. I like it when um, when people come up to me or email me or whatever and say. Um, so what happens? Like, are they going to get together? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not the point. <laughs> that's when you have, have private, private readings for like $5,000 a ticket. And that's where you dish about that stuff. Like everybody right. has to leave their phone in a locked basket. Right. At the door. Right. Yeah. And then you talk about that stuff. So later on, when they ask you about it, you can be like, I didn't say that. But like, it, I think what happens is people feel like they know the person, right? So you stay engaged with the story the whole time. And you're like, oh, I yeah, she's going to do this. So this is going to happen. And then, and so for me, I feel like just in terms of like, you know, fancy literary um, uh, training that I have or whatever, that's like, okay, good. So I did my job. So you take, okay, your turn, you take it, right? As a short story to me is you give a person a character and she's got a horse and she's going to spend a year in college. Now you deal with it. Right. You can definitely feel as though, like you feel as though, you know, the characters, you feel as though they're breathing next to you. And I noticed, I noticed that only in having examined it so I could talk to you. Right. Cause in the best books, you don't notice that that's happening. The only time I notice is if I start to feel like I'm understanding a character, like I've read some books like this and all of a sudden they do something that makes no sense. <laughs> to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. and, and then it feels like, wait, that's they did that for some reason like to f move the story along or something right. so how do you avoid the temptation to do that well I think that I mean that's part of the reason why I like to be a short story writer because you're not a slave to plot and and you're not um you know I don't need a device I don't need anybody to serve a purpose in a story you know other than like a like a maybe a metaphorical purpose but in a novel you have like things have to happen and you have to have a sequence of events and, and you have to answer a lot more questions. So uh, I just don't answer questions. <laughs> I think, seriously, I think it's it's enough. And I hope that people kind of take the book in this spirit. It's like, I think of short story collections as albums. And you know, like you remember you would buy an album and you like some of the songs and you don't like some of the other songs and you might make a mixtape where you only listen to two of them. And there might be one that you just put on repeat all the time and one that you skip and you don't listen to for 10 years. And then one day you're in a mood and you're like, oh, that's a good song. And they don't answer it. Like you don't know who Roxanne is, right? Um, we know a little bit about Roxanne, but it it it's like this mind opener. It has there. It's a very different art form. So yeah, I like the I like that form because then I'm not I I don't get myself in those traps where I have to like use people or make them do something I don't want. I don't. That's not appropriate. So we haven't used this in a while, but I'm going to use this now. Okay. And this question comes all the way from the uh, second stall, the men's room at the Home Depot, uh, just outside of Lansing. You know, I've never been able to locate a, a restroom at the Home Depot. Not not at once. I just go in the uh, drywall aisle. No one's around. All I wish to say, I have a question that has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. <laughs> a tweet that you're going to be creative writing and environmental humanities and residence fellow at the UI Confluence Lab starting this fall. And I have questions. Okay. Like, what's, what's a Confluence Lab? 
Cool. Um, yeah, I, it's complicated. So Confluence Lab is at the University of Idaho. It is the simplest definition I can give you is it's a climate change think tank. Like uh, it's me and there's a fire ecologist and there's somebody who studies moose and there's, uh, there's a composer who like takes weather patterns and sets them to music. And we just, and, and we're working on projects like this communicating fire project where we're trying to get people to notice and care about what's happening in terms of wildfires in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so we're doing storytelling in communities. We're gonna, you know, we're just like projects that, that try to get people to uh, pay attention to what's happening in terms of climate change, especially in the Pacific Northwest, and um, and also feel represented in it. Like, I think if people feel like they are not alone or if they are part of, gee, I didn't know that was happening to the forest 10 miles from my house, you know, that that then people are more likely to be engaged with it and try to do something. So it's, a, um, it's like a bunch of smart people who just hang out in <laughs> northern like, Idaho, way up there in the finger in Idaho. Best job and, uh, ever. Yeah, and just try to figure out like, hey, what can we do to make people care about this? And they have a podcast, and they, they you know, it's it's like um, I'm new, so I'm still learning, but uh, but they're really cool people. So we had a couple comments come in. Leslie says, "I found one of the best things about the apocalypse was the stories, family stories to share, more time to read books, found different and unexpected series or movies to watch, things that we just did not have or make time for before." Yeah, absolutely. Coach Woodard had a question. He says, so short stories are more character driven while novels are more plot driven, question mark. Do you agree? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some experimental novels that are a little more character driven, but generally speaking, things have to happen in a novel for you to stay with it. Whereas a short story is more like, um, hey, you know how it feels when that's kind of the question that a short story is asking is saying, you know how this feels, right? Or if you don't, let me tell you how this feels. And then let me let you sit with that, right? which is a very different artistic motivation. And like I said, more like a song. Like let that one marinate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Annette says that that's a really interesting idea, Carrie, but the oh, private, a private reading. reading, like where you dish about stuff you think would happen <laughs> in your book. And yeah. the idea of enough in short storytelling. I, the, yeah, I, I reacted when you said that too. That's enough for you. <laughs> yeah, well, and what I mean by that is like the, the, like the compliment people pay me is, gosh, these could all be novels. And I'm like, I know, but they're not. So, <laughs> you know, you do that part. Imagine, enjoy, right? Like the same way that, I don't know, Roxanne maybe is a bad example. I don't know if people have a whole... There's room though, like in the Outlander books, there's mm -hmm. these spin-off like short stories and or mm -hmm. collections of short stories about kind of tangential characters that would just make the books way too long. I mean, there's always room. There's always potential layers. Yeah, thing. especially in book series. Yeah, yeah. Novel writing is amazing and, and it's a to it's just a different form. I think of short story writing more as like its own. It's more like poetry writing. I feel like she did have to put on the red light. <laughs> Roxanne. She did. I'm just yeah. gonna put that out there. Maybe yeah. she had rosacea. You don't know. Girls got to earn no. a living. Yeah, maybe no. Sting was just not aware of the socioeconomic factors that were really affecting her choices. Right. You know? Yeah, should turn that light off altogether and save well, the environment. And also, what's wrong with being a sex worker? Like, right. whatever. It's none of your business, Sting. Like, everybody's on OnlyFans these days. I mean, wrong. Come on. <laughs> you know, Twitter is rife with it. <laughs> right along this same train of thought. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom! Well, careful there. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know. um, 
I'm giving it to Chloe. I think Chloe hasn't been a person of the day in some time. So she makes the trek every day from Scotland. So I think Chloe's a great person of the day. That entitles you to one free Scottish apple. You just have to uh, make sure you take the right one, purchase it, bring it home. Some people say wash it. I'm not going to, you know, that's your thing. Wash it. Wash it. And I don't eat the seeds either because arsenic, but you do you. Arsenic's good for you. Hey, listen, um, we have come to that part of the show where we ask the same question to every single guest, everyone from Sir Mix-a-Lot to Sister Ann Flanagan to Mistress Harley. We asked the question, Mistress Montana. All the mistresses answer this. (laughs) I always forget her name because I'm like, Mistress, one of those states. Um, The question is, what goes in your backpack? This could be something physical, like an Mm -hmm. avocado. It could be something metaphorical, like dreams. Carrie, what's something physical you could add to a backpack? Anything? Ooh, extra set of teeth. That's a good idea. That was DJ Cumberbund's answer. And I'm like, you just never know. It's so true. Like just backups? Backup teeth? Yeah, yeah like he's, extra teeth. He's yeah, a wrestling yeah. fan, so oh, I feel okay. like you have to say that. Yeah. What's case. something metaphorical you could add? I mean, I bet there's no good example right off the top of your head. I feel like kindness is always mm-hmm. necessary. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Leia Hampton, author of Fuckface. What are you going to add to our backpack? Okay, let's see. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. It's a hard question. It's a good question. I think, I mean, the metaphorical thing that I think you got to have in your backpack, and I was thinking about this as terms of like, um, because people ask me all the time, like, how do you get a book deal and that kind of stuff, right? I think you have to put all your baggage in your backpack. Like, Mm. it's rather than um, like to lovingly fold it up and put like, you know, a pretty bow on it and carry it with you. And it's okay to like have your history with you when you go out into the world. I think people try too hard to sort of, what is it, trace it, face it, erase it. You know, like I'm not a big fan of the erasure part. I think you have to know who you are and I think you have to know where you come from. And so metaphorically, I think in your backpack, uh, you have to have, obviously you should not do this until you have like a comfortable relationship with some of your history and your emotional baggage. But I think as a writer, it's really important for me to treat that stuff kindly and to, um, to recognize that it's always going to be with you. So you might as well put it in the backpack in a comfy, good backpack. It makes you who you are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, and yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, just, you know, have a loving, relationship with your previous self that's i guess what i'm really saying but also it comes in really handy you know like you have more compassion if you're walking around with a big fat backpack and somebody says something mean or you're in a situation at the mall and someone starts yelling at the victoria's secret like we see these videos online you know (laughs) people going crazy and you can just go hmm in my backpack i have a time when i remember what this felt like and you know and you're Mm -hmm. more able to meet people where they are in my family, we have the same joke that we roll out every time we walk by Victoria's Secret. Like every single time we walk by, somebody has to say it. And you don't know who it will be. But it's always the same joke. It's always terrible. And this is what it is. not even anatomically accurate no right. 